GoneMobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Hey everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Gone Mobile. Uh, this episode is being recorded on January fourteenth, twenty fourteen. And we took a little time off at the end of last year, but you know we're back and we're ready to, to talk about start talking about mobile again. Uh, I hope in the, in the meantime, I hope everyone had an awesome holiday season and New Year's. Uh, what about you, John? How, how was yours? Yeah, it was great. I got to uh, go over to San Francisco on uh, just a vacation vacation, but uh, managed to sneak in some time stopping by the Xamarin office and uh, having some lunch with uh, my friend Craig from Xamarin. So that was uh, a good time. It's cool to see some of the stuff, their new space. They just moved in. Yeah, I haven't seen the new office, but I'll have to try and make it out there. It's not exactly around the corner from New York, but <laughs> no, get out there eventually. So, um, yeah, to, to kick things off for the new year, we're, we're excited to have uh, Ben Bishop on the show with us. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Uh, so one of the things that we really want to do here on the, the Gone Mobile podcast is is try and shine some light on interesting projects that are going on in the, the mobile and Xamarin communities. Um, and, and you have a project that, that, you know, called Monkey Arms that, that pretty much fits this criteria to a T. So, you know, let's just kick things off with uh, the elevator pitch. You know, what is Monkey Arms? So what Monkey Arms is, is technically, I guess a lot of people would call it a framework. I tend to prefer prefer to think of it more as a toolbox that you can use as much of or as little of, uh, depending on what type of problems you're trying to solve. I actually haven't so much created the Monkey Arms um, framework as much as I took a framework that I used a lot when I was doing Flash development called Robot Legs, and I brought a lot of the concepts uh, from that uh, platform over to C Sharp with the idea of specifically using it for Xamarin projects to build uh, iOS and Android applications. Gotcha. So, so then you mentioned iOS and Android. Are those the the only two platforms supported, or do you have any others as well? Those are the only two platforms that uh, I've had projects that I needed to build for, and hence those are the only ones that I've actually um, used Monkey Arms for. Um, as far as I know, there's no reason why it couldn't work on Windows Phone or any other C Sharp or .NET platforms. I just haven't really had a chance to experiment and find out how they would how it would play into uh, Windows Phone or even server-side development for that matter. So backing up one step, um, what's it like to be a, uh, a survivor of ActionScript uh, <laughs> development? And how'd you get here from there? <laughs> That's a very good question, and it's a fun one. So my uh, background started all the way um, back in college at Purdue University. I graduated in 2003 with a degree in computer graphics technology. And I was very fortunate in that um, the type of uh, program that was is they spent equal amounts of time teaching you things like ASP as well as like uh, HTML and JavaScript, as well as uh, design principles, like how to use Photoshop, what makes a good design, things of that nature. So when I first graduated, um, I worked for an agency here in St. Louis uh, that specialized in making um, applications or CD-ROMs, predominantly CD-ROMs, that would go into textbooks. And we would use Flash and wrap it with a product called Multimedia Zinc, and uh, we would be able to run uh, these apps both on uh, Mac as well as PC. And I was extremely fortunate in that as Flash became less 
about just making fancy splash pages where you could actually create true applications and it had true object-oriented support, uh, my skills were able to grow with that. And I was able to learn more and more um, computer science-y. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I just said computer science but computer <laughs> yeah. science uh, type of techniques uh, like inversion of control, test-driven development, uh, things of that nature. As for uh, surviving uh, Steve Jobs killing my main uh, bread and butter, uh, <laughs> in some ways I was very relieved. It's kind of ironic. Um, up, I think it was... November of 2011, when Adobe kind of announced that they were going to stop pushing uh, Flash for mobile. Uh, that previous summer, I had uh, worked on a project uh, for Adobe doing proof of concepting that they could get Flex to run on iOS and Android. And I was like, I've really made the big time. I'm doing work directly for Adobe. And then two months later, they announced that they're pretty much killing the platform. So go figure. That's kind of interesting just because, um, I mean, from the .NET world and the C-sharp Novell world, we were kind of a little bit afraid at the same time, too. So it's kind of interesting that you came over, you know, and I don't know if that's around the time that you jumped ship over to the Xamarin side or, or went fully native. But, um, you know, certainly a similar uh, storyline for some of us developers here, uh, being afraid of, of Apple shutting us right down. Right, yeah, and that was, you know, Apple was wielding a very big uh, axe or sword in that capacity. Um, as for how I kind of fell into the Xamarin Mono platform, you know, I realized I needed to quickly shift um, my skills uh, to something new that I could get work for. And the grand majority, I believe, of Flash Flex developers move to, you know, JavaScript, HTML-based frameworks like Sencha or what have you. And I just got done basically spending, I guess it was eight years at that point, fighting Flash tooth and nail where, you know, the first 90% of the project was super easy. And then you'd run into this horrendous 10% just trying to get something to work because you have to like come up with all these workarounds because Flash really wasn't meant to, you know, run on the desktop or run on mobile or whatever. So I was very wary of, um, you know, jumping to the phone gap type of solutions for mobile development because I kind of felt like it was just, you know, it wasn't necessarily optimal. And when I came across Xamarin, I was very suspicious suspicious of it at first until I kind of started learning more about how they're doing things with the compiler and bindings. And then I quickly kind of fell in love with it and most specifically C-sharp. Like in the past year or two, I've, um, you know, really started to appreciate all the great things about C-sharp. And I'm uh, very um, happy to kind of see it continue to grow and add features. That's where I think, you know, in eight years of working with ActionScript, uh, there is maybe one major change, and that's when they went from AS2 to AS3, like seven years ago or whatever. So, Cool. So then once you got over to the, the C-sharp side and you started working with Xamarin, um, what was your, like, what drove you to write your own framework here instead of kind of, you know, maybe adopting one of the existing ones? Was it just that you were looking for a framework similar to what you've used before? Or did you find that there was something, you know, fundamentally missing from what was out there already? Well, I think uh, the safest answer would probably be ignorance on my part, not coming from, um, you know, the Microsoft uh, Silverlight.net world. I wasn't 100% sure of all the different type of frameworks out there. And really for me, 
found that I kind of am a little bit different than a lot of uh, people that use Xamarin in that I came from a world other than .NET or Microsoft. So I didn't necessarily have as much uh, knowledge about the existing frameworks out there. So when I first started getting started in this, I would, you know, Google search like, you know, frameworks for Xamarin or, uh, you know, Mono or whatever. And a lot of the frameworks, I think, were geared a lot more towards Silverlight. I had come across um, Stuart Lodge's uh, MVVM Cross, and he's a super nice guy and stuff. At the time, I think it was I first started two years ago with uh, my first true project with Xamarin. Um, a lot of the documentation that we currently have for MVVM Cross wasn't quite there, and some of the stuff I, I tend to be a little impatient, and if I can't figure something out within like an hour or so, I just kind of move on. So what ended up happening for my first project was I looked at uh, Xamarin's, um, was it World Mobile Dev Conference app that they use to kind of demonstrate how you could build cross-platform apps, and I basically, basically kind of borrowed their architecture where I used a lot of uh, static classes, uh, like manager classes and view models and stuff like that. Um, after doing a couple of projects with that, I started kind of running to issues with using static classes, and that was kind of hard to uh, make variations of programs or refactor programs, uh, mainly because uh, my static classes tr started turning into these huge, uh, very rigid monoliths that were hard to just take one part of and move somewhere else. So I kind of started thinking about how can I write my Xamarin code a bit better. And uh, at the time, uh, beginning in 2013, I was uh, working on a, a Flash legacy project for a friend, and I was using robot legs for it, and I was you know, solving some different problems and doing test-driven development. I was like, you know, this would actually be kind of cool if I had this on a Xamarin project. So I kind of took... Uh, the idea of porting robot legs over to uh, Xamarin, not necessarily because um, I wanted to be famous or I didn't think anyone else's stuff was that good or anything like that. I kind of thought it would be kind of fun to see how hard it would be to port over and also kind of get to know C Sharp better and like learn things like uh, how reflection works in C Sharp and whatnot. Right. So then, um, you know, you list this as being uh, an MVCS you know, framework, you know, how does that, I assume that the MVC is, um, in that is pretty similar to, you know, traditional MVC, but how does, you know, how does this pattern differ from that? So <laughs> to be honest with you, a lot of the description I copied from how they used to describe robot legs and flash. Um, I don't necessarily say you have to use a specific, uh, pattern with robot legs. You could, if you wanted, or sorry, with monkey arms, if you wanted, <laughs> you could do an MVVM type of architecture. You could do MVC or uh, MVCS with uh, model view controller and services, or you could go with something that's a bit more functional, less state, like a flow-based programming where you use um, uh, mediators and commands of that nature. And it's my hope um, this month to actually uh, start getting more and more of the documentation for Monkey Arms done. And one of my hopes is, is to do a, a video of how you can do an MVVM uh, application with Monkey Arms using um, like Paul Kruger's um, binding um, 
GitHub library that he just released, I think, last week. And also um, look at how you can do something that's a bit more functional or uh, flow-based, less state type of approach as well. So my hope and one of the things I think that Monkey Arms stands out from other uh, things out there like MVVM Cross is it doesn't necessarily tie you into one way of structuring your application. So you mentioned um, mediators, invokers, and, and I've seen from looking at the source code commands. Can you expand a little bit on what those uh, are to, say, an MVVM developer coming from the Microsoft world? Because that's new terminology for, I think, a lot of developers in this space. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. And really, uh, what an invoker is, uh, or what it became to be, was a bit more of a flexible event. In ActionScript, um, our events were actually objects that would get bubbled up through the display tree, and you could like pass an event to a parameter. You could you know throw them in a dictionary. You could do a lot of different stuff with them. When I started off with C Sharp and Xamarin, I kind of found the event and event handlers of C Sharp um, a lot different than what I was used to in AS3, and I found um, that. There were some things I wanted to do. For example, I want to be able to broadcast like some sort of global event that gets mapped to a command. Or uh, I want to be able to know whether or not I already have a listener on a particular event or event handler. Or, um, you know, in one case, um, maybe all I wanted was just an event that would be broadcast that anything can listen to and figure out what they need to do. And there's a lot of ways I found that I could accomplish these things with um, regular C-sharp events and event handlers. Um, but I started messing around with invokers because I um, happened to Google uh, command pattern with C-sharp.net and they had mentioned the word invoker. And basically it's uh, a class object that dispatches an invoked event that you can listen to. And when you use it in conjunction with um, what I call an invoker map, you can easily add and remove event handlers. And what I mean by that is with a, uh, let's say, a typical iOS app, let's say you're in a UI view controller, and let's say you have a view model. A lot of times in the view will appear method that you override, that's where you will add um, you know, all of your event listeners, like was a user logged in or did this list change, etc. And one of the things I quickly learned is I also need to update when the view will disappear or view will unload to remove all those event listeners. Well, if you don't do this, it can lead to memory leaks and weird, funky performance things that you weren't anticipating. And I kind of found that adding and removing um, was... I don't know what good word for it. It's a little clumsy in that um, I would always have to declare my handler as a function. Like I couldn't do a Lambda expression because there's no easy way to really, as far as I know. Yeah, it's kind of anti, you know, new.net patterns that we use. Right. So what I've done is I created this invoker map where instead of having your uh, view model dispatch events, you can uh, have your view model have 
like individual invokers uh, for you know list change or user logged in, and I can say invoker map dot add here's the invoker and here's the handler, and the handler can be a function or it can be a lambda expression. Then in my view will disappear method, I can just say invoker map remove all listeners with one line. So I'm not having to constantly say, oh, I added a handler here, I need to remove it over here too. So those are the type of problems I've tried solving with monkey arms. Gotcha. So it sounds like if I was kind of understanding that correctly, and you know, definitely correct me if I'm not, it, it sounds like you're kind of sitting, you know, essentially a, a pub sub type, <clears throat> excuse me, pub sub type system, you know, on top of events, just to give you a little bit of richer, um, the richer ability to subscribe and unsubscribe, which you can't really do easily with events. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you can definitely uh, use them, like I mentioned with the invoker map for kind of local between like your view model and your like UI view controller. You can also use um, invokers in a command map. So with a monkey arms application, you will normally have like uh, some sort of bootstrap uh, function. Uh, a lot of times I'll put this like in the app delegate on iOS, or I'll put this in the main application class of an Android app. And I can say, hey, when this invoker gets dispatched, uh, run these commands. And um, one of my uh, goals uh, next couple months is also come up with a way where you can easily string a series of invokers and commands together. Uh, so you can use it in kind of a uh, message command um, way as, as well. Or one of the things you can do with monkey arms is you can say, I'm going to create uh, this custom invoker class. I'm going to make it a singleton. And you can just have things listen to it with no command or whatever. So... Uh, as I kind of just evolved, monkey arms invokers became more and more uh, versatile than just, you know, commands or just uh, with like local uh, event wrapping. Gotcha. And then so that's that's invokers and commands, I assume, is, you know, basically just exactly what it sounds like, essentially just a method. Um, so where and maybe this kind of just sailed past me and all that, like where do the mediators fit in? Like what are what what are they serving? So mediators kind of go a little bit against um, what I said earlier in that um, my goal is not to be overly prescriptive in how um, you should uh, structure it. Mediators was something that I directly ported over from Robot Legs. And um, the way they come into play is in a more functional or if you can use mediators in conjunction with view models, but I found they kind of sometimes duplicate or overlap and you kind of lose the point of them. So I tend to kind of think of mediators as kind of a glue uh, per se between uh, like your UI view controller or your activity with the rest of the application. So um, one of the things I found with, um, you know, doing a view model based approach with um, Xamarin applications is um, a lot of times, like a UI view controller would have an instance of the view model, and then your activity would, and Android would have the same instance of that view model. And a lot of times I'd forget, like, what events am I supposed to be listening to? Uh, what methods was I supposed to be invoking? Like, I wrote this, you know, login screen in iOS three months ago. I'm just now getting to the Android version. When did I, what was I supposed to do here? So... What I've quickly learned in cross-platform development with Xamarin is class interfaces are your friend. And what the way I've started arranging my applications is I will have something called a login mediator for like a login screen per se. And the mediator uh, will 
uh, have a specification of its target, of what it's going to be mediating. And a mediator can actually mediate not only like view controllers or activities or UI views, or, but you can also have them mediate like a UI table source or a list adapter on Android. Um, one thing I did on a project I'm currently working on is I have a mediator that mediates um, this class that keeps track of your GPS location for a running app. So a mediator does not have to be tied specifically to a view. So there's some versatility in there that's nice. But back to my login example is I would have a login view mediator and its target would subscribe to an iLogin view interface. And this interface would have a getter property for username, a getter property for um, password, and then uh, it would also have a couple methods like show invalid prompt or go to the next screen. And then uh, the last element would be like some sort of event that says, hey, login submitted. And what I found is by using this uh, interface approach, when I go to write the UI view controller, for uh, iOS, and then when I write the adapter for Android, I just have to implement these interfaces. I don't know anything else. I can just kind of hit my Alt-Enter on the interface definition, and Xamarin Studio will dump in all the properties I need, and I just kind of fill out this blueprint. The mediator would be responsible for listening to that login submitted event getting dispatched. It'd be responsible for getting the username and password, and then, you know, um, kicking off whatever process or command needs to happen um, and then uh, getting the end result of that process and letting the view know what it should do. Uh, does that make sense? I know that covered a lot of ground. Yeah, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think part of what makes it um, I mean, a little bit ambiguous, and it seems like that's kind of by design, is just that you know, you're you're not really trying to enforce a specific design pattern upon people using your framework, if I'm understanding correctly. So there's, I think, like, you know, I'm trying to get the, the architecture straight in my head. And there's a lot of terms that, you know, overlap with other other patterns. Like, you know, you're, you're talking about, like, view models and commands and things like that. Um, but based on the description that you just gave of mediators, it, it kind of sounds like mediators take care of a lot of what traditional, say, like MVVM frameworks would put in the view model. Right. So, does that sound right? Yeah. And to kind of elaborate a bit further, um, something that I've been doing recently is to go back to this login um, example, is my mediator would take the username and password, and it would dispatch a um, login input invoker. And this invoker would have these arguments of username, password. This invoker would be mapped to a command. The command would be, then be responsible for uh, interacting with a service or a database or whatever. And then it would spit out what I call an output invoker of um, user login output. And then the mediator would only be paying attention to the input, dispatch, and the output. So it really has, knows nothing about the command. And based on the output, it would then uh, invoke whatever methods that are necessary on the view itself. Um, one of the benefits of this approach is because my views have to subscribe to an interface, it makes it really easy to use something like mock uh, to mock out my views and test the business logic of my mediators and whatnot. And I know Greg's really big on test-driven development. <laughs> oh, you heard about that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed your uh, presentation uh, at uh, Evolve. Yeah, yeah, I do enjoy tests, and I 
try to convince other people of it too. You got me. <laughs> no problem. And so, um, and kind of to your point, I'm really hoping uh, with some more videos and kind of show, because like I think you mentioned in a previous podcast, it's really hard sometimes to talk about code just verbally. Right. <laughs> um, so then I guess, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the, the terminology thing, but just to make sure that, I guess at least the, that I understand, um, maybe it's just me that's confused. So like in, so you have your mediators and, and I kind of get the, the interaction between mediators and invokers and, and that stuff, um, and exposing your, your, your UI layer as a, an interface, actually, um, I can, I can see now like how that would really clean things up. So when you're, when you're architecting your apps, like what do quote unquote view models do in your app? Is that basically just a, you know, a, a data model that doesn't have too much behavior then at that point? Right. So right now, I uh, the latest um, project I'm using Monkey Arms with, I really don't have view models at all. Okay. And, um, and that's kind of what kind of went back to my point where mediators and view models kind of you know, get in their way and it's kind of hard to understand what they're doing. You know, mm -hmm. and when I was doing some flash work uh, last year, what I did is I basically had my view models uh, retain all state of the view, and the mediator was then responsible for passing those properties uh, from the view model down to the view itself. And I started kind of realizing that approach is redundant and not as optimized. Uh, I also started uh, experimenting with what if I kind of break my thinking away from um, the view model uh, concept where I think a lot of times uh, we take a look at a design that a uh, UX person or a designer gives to us and we're like, okay, this form field needs to have this prop, et cetera, and I'll create a view model for it. Uh, one of my friends here in St. Louis, he kind of introduced me to the concepts of uh, flow-based programming to where on my current project, um, I just fire off these input um or request invokers saying, hey, I need such and such data for my screen. It waits for the output invoker, and then it just tells the view what it needs to do. And this request happens uh, basically each time the mediator um, comes registered, which usually happens when a view uh, appears, like in the view will appear or uh, start or resume on Android. And uh, what I can do is because I'm using commands and have things so decoupled is uh, that request can pull from a database cache on the device and say, here was the last results that you asked, or it can always go to the server for a fresh uh, set of data. And one of the things I'm really looking to do is uh, I think on that podcast you had with Paul, he was talking about his like mem cache type of um, database or mechanism that he created. So uh, one of the things I'm hoping to do is use uh, that to where I can say, hey, this was uh, the URL request that they made. Do I already have this data cached? You know, so I've been experimenting with a lot of different approaches just to see what happens. Yeah, it seems like you could drop in. Uh, that's the, the Akavash library I think you're talking about. Like you could drop that in pretty easily. Um, but I think... Ultimately, it's pretty obvious that you just need to make up your own acronym for this pattern. <laughs> right. MICV pattern, something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one I was toying with is VMIC, V M I C, as in uh, View, Mediator, Invoker, Command. But um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, 
Okay, if I'm just starting out, I just got uh, Monkey Arms cloned on my machine, and now is the obligatory question for any framework we talk about on the podcast. What is the file new experience like? Um, right now, uh, I uh, set up a NuGet package where you can install uh, the Monkey Arms classes into um, whatever project you have. And right now, Monkey Arms is super lightweight, so it's only like, I think, five classes or something. So you'll see those uh, installed. Uh, the normal flow is uh, in your app delegate or... And actually, maybe I should rewind. Right now, I don't necessarily create like any starter templates other than uh, the core classes of Monkey Arms. Which is probably nice for, you know, Xamarin Studio users and everything, because that doesn't work so nice in NuGet, just uh, future-proof. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, honestly, one of the things I'm really hoping, one of the reasons I'm excited you guys uh, asked me on this podcast is I'm really hoping uh, to start getting some feedback from people like, hey, this doesn't make sense, or this doesn't, you know. Uh, for the most part, I've just kind of been kind of casual about things and can't wait to get some feedback on these things. But with that said, uh, the normal way you kind of go about building your Monkey Arms app is uh, within your app delegate class or like the main application uh, class of your Android app, you kind of specify what singletons you're going to have. You also uh, will specify, like you'll map your invokers to commands. You will also uh, map any sort of interface implementations. Like you can say, uh, you know, for IA login command, use this class. And that comes in really handy uh, to where you can easily swap in and out. Like you can, if you're about to jump on a plane, you're not going to have internet connection. You can swap that command to just be something hard-coded um, for like a username and password, and then you can re, uh, easily swap back in the actual command uh, that hits the API server or whatnot. So you'll do kind of a live year uh, setup and bootstrap and kind of specifying um, this uh, particular view will have this type of mediator. And then from that uh, point on, uh, the dependency injection mechanisms of uh, Monkey Arms will take care of a lot of the injecting of, um, you know, like singletons into your commands or uh, invokers into your mediators based on uh, the inject tag that you can use to decorate your various classes. Have you run into any issues with the linker uh, when doing the dependency injection? Yeah. Yes, and I felt so much better when Paul said he did too. <laughs> <laughs> So what kind of what kind of problems did you run into because of that, or and kind of how did you work around them? Uh, right now, none of my projects were super big, so I was able to I think on Android say uh, don't link, just kind of use everything together, and it didn't really uh, hurt things too bad. I haven't ran into any issues on iOS with the linkage, um, so for the most part, um, there hasn't been. Uh, too many performance issues. Sometimes uh, if you have a lot of commands that you're mapping or, um, you know, just a lot of setup going on, the initial run of your app might take a couple extra seconds. Uh, but overall, I haven't seen too much in regards uh, to performance or uh, compilation issues. One thing that uh, I'm trying to figure out a better way to fix is there is this um, issue where I built Monkey Arms uh, dependency injector on top of Tiny IOC, and if you are trying to inject something into another thing, and like one of them has an error 
and its constructor or something, uh, TinyIOC tends to eat the entire stack trace, so it makes it really hard to figure out what's going wrong. So um, one of the benefits of me just making the NuGet package, just a series of class files, is you should, once you get that runtime error with a debugger, it'll take you to that line of code inside Monkey Arms, and I have a comment in there that says, you know, you might want to look at this or that. You know, I'm hoping I can get something more articulate than that at some point. Right. So, so then if Monkey Arms is built on top of Tiny IOC, do you also have a, an abstraction kind of in between you and that so you could swap out another IOC framework if you wanted, or is it pretty hard-coded? Um, so, yes and no. Um, you can't swap out the Tiny IOC uh, container without recompiling uh, Monkey Arms, basically. I uh, have a static class called DI, and anytime you, like... Uh, you don't want to use the injector, but you need to get something. You can just say di.get whatever class you name or whatever. But that di static class basically just acts as a wrapper for TinyIOC. So you could, in uh, theory, pretty easily swap out TinyIOC with, I think, something else like Windsor or something. And uh, all the uh, static methods or whatever should have the same signature, no problem. Gotcha. And, you know, kind of... You know, continuing on the the IOC front, um, you know, me being a, a big you know TDD type guy, I, you know, obviously I, I love injection. Um, you know, I was looking through like a little bit of the source, and I, I see you know inject attributes that you can decorate things with to be injected. Um, do you also support any kind of constructor injection, or is it really just more of a service location that you perform? It's more of a service location right now. Um, I need <laughs> working with reflection. You have to get yourself into a certain mindset to really uh, do it well, and uh, constructor based. Um, Injection has been something that's kind of on my to-do list, and it's kind of one of those things I'd like to get uh, input from the community about. For example, you know, how do you go about uh, in a case where the user or the developer hasn't specified any sort of inject rules for a constructor argument? Do I just have the uh, IOC container just create a new instance of that, or should I throw a runtime error? You know, things like that. Right. Well, that, that's always the big question. <laughs> Uh, but for now, it's pretty much uh, just like a service locator of sorts. Okay, and you know, as far as the things that can be injected, I mean, are there places where you can't, or or maybe just specific places where you can use the the inject attribute, or is it something that works pretty much across the board throughout the framework? Uh, it pretty much works across the board. It's kind of going back to my point of I, um, you know, one of my goals is to make monkey arms to where you can use as much or as little of it as you want. Uh, I separated out uh, the injection mechanism into its own class called di injecting util, and basically any class that implements the i injecting target uh, interface, which really you, you just implement it. There's no methods or properties or anything to implement. It's just a way of differentiating. Uh, at any point, you can say inject props into this. So uh, as far as I know, there isn't anything that you can't inject into. Going back to the the uh, file new idea of things, I'm a, a pretty heavy Xamarin Studio user. Mm -hmm. So I got two two questions on that front. One um, browsing through your README, um, I met, I stumbled across the, you may have to manually tweak a file in your mono framework install to get Xamarin Studio to compile. 
Is that something that I need to worry about if I'm grabbing things from NuGet? No. What, what exactly are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about outdated documentation. <laughs> All right. I was hoping that was the case. That's a good answer. Yeah. And that was kind of one of the reasons uh, I didn't uh, publicize or promote Monkey Arms too much is up until November, the PCLs were very touch and go. And uh, I didn't want to put something out there and then spend the next two weeks trying to tell people how to hack Xamarin Studio to get the PCLs working better. And then I just recently, probably in the past month or two, uh, learned how to do the NuGet packages. And I find that's just a much better workflow in general than trying to create like a Git sub module or uh, mess around with DLLs or whatever. Yeah, that's great. But uh, would you consider doing a component store component in the future too? Um, I know you guys asked Paul that about the reactive UI stuff. I don't necessarily see a reason why it wouldn't. Um, has it been your guys' experience? People like components better than NuGet, or is it because NuGet uh, you kind of have to install the add-in separately? Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to jump through some hoops to get it going on Xamarin Studio. Um, and I guess if you're not doing anything specifically like PowerShell scripty in your NuGet package, it's not such a big deal to set up that way. Um, but it's it's kind of cool just to have. Uh, have it on both fronts anyway. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a good consideration. Yeah, and I think one of the other advantages too is it gives you like a way to provide you know some sample code if if you know if there's some like you know first getting started steps that you want to just you know put right up front and center when someone installs your component. You know the the component store kind of gives you an easy mechanism for doing that, so that can kind of come in handy too. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned that. The, the old, you know, the, the outdated, you know, build step problem was, it was related to PCL. So I take it based on that, that monkey arms itself is, you know, built as a PCL. Yeah, it originally, uh, is, uh, I kind of set it up usually just as like a, uh, PCL library project. Uh, one of the things that kind of kept me from distributing it as a, uh, DLL with NuGet is just trying to figure out like all the different, um, platform uh, designations that I have to make so NuGet knows what to do with it or whatever. And I was like, you know, it's only five classes. How about we just do files instead? Right. That's understandable. <laughs> but as far as I know, it, uh, it can compile just fine to PCL. Cool. Um, and, you know, jumping back to the, the DI stuff for just one second. So the what's the scope of the type of injections that you can do? I mean, is it mainly meant as meant to be in more of your your shared code layer or does this kind of do you have anything in there to propagate up to to view layer stuff too um you know when it comes to dependency injection i tend to pretty much just use it for kind of like the core um you know commands um utilities services, things of that nature. I don't really use uh, the DI to inject views into other views or anything like that. You know, with the uh, DI tool of Monkey Arms, you can specify classes as being like singletons or multi-instance. You can also say anytime uh, someone wants to inject, let's say like a I login VM, use this particular class for that. And then one other thing that's kind of unique uh, that I pulled from Robot Legs is I can say, hey, anytime someone wants a singleton for this class, use this instance of it. So, for example, after a user logs in, I can create a new user object and take that instance and make that instance a singleton that can be referenced multiple times. Right, that makes sense. So, like, as far as the 
the the shared code layer goes i mean in, in the apps that you've been building using uh, your framework um how much code do you find is ending up in your your shared kind of pcl layer versus platform specific layers uh pretty much all my business logic especially if i'm doing a mediator type pattern uh, tends to pretty much all the business logic tends to be shared across both platforms. What that means in terms of total code base, uh, I don't quite have the project done, but I'd say at minimum 60%. And what I found is with like the mediator type pattern and using something like mock is I can write so much of my view business logic where without even going into my iOS project or my Android project, I can just run it within my, um, in-unit library in Xamarin Studio, and I can use mock to raise um, events or to specify, hey, in this scenario, return this for the username or this for the password. And so far, with test-driven development and uh, just kind of the mediator pattern, uh, with the project that I'm working on, I probably have over 500-some tests, and I think I might have only found two bugs at runtime, and they were both uh, specific to UI kit stuff. That's awesome. I mean, obviously, again, you're you're preaching to the choir. But that's, <laughs> right. I mean, it, that that just it's good evidence for that how important that kind of approach is for for mobile development. I think. Right, and you know, one of the things that kind of took me some getting used to is I'm so used to just kind of hacking something together seeing it in the simulator on my device, playing around with it. Oh, here's a bug. Then I go and I try to find where the bug is. And then I find another bug. And what thing I found is you basically take all that time checking. You just move it to the front as you're writing the code. And when you actually go to run things, things do seem to run much smoother. And I spend less time using the debugger. Right. Well, that actually brings up, uh, you know, something I wanted to chat about too is I've personally, as I've, I've toyed with, you know, this, um, you know, MVVM frameworks and similar frameworks, um, they do seem to lend themselves in my experience to, you know, what I would call like maybe bottom up development where you kind of know, you know, your app flow, you know, you know, the, the core logic and, you know, the basic behavior of the app. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of okay to start off with, you know, a lot of that plumbing code and, you know, the real business logic. And then kind of you know kick the views on top of it later, um, but then, but that doesn't necessarily lend itself really well to you know if you're kind of poking around and figuring stuff out and you know, it, if you're just kind of like spiking an idea, you know, you might not know all the stuff that you would have to put underneath. So I'm kind of curious how, you know, how you've kind of found that experience you know working with Monkey Arms and is there is there a lot of overhead to you know, quickly iterating on, you know, UI ideas and, you know, app ideas without having to necessarily sift through, uh, you know, a lot of plumbing just to, to figure it out? No, not at all. And uh, again, it kind of goes back to my goal of um, you can use as much or as little of it as you want. And in addition to using as little or as much of it as you want, you can use it at any time too. So it kind of, uh, one of the things that really triggered me to pull robot legs over to Xamarin is when I was working on that legacy flash project, it was just this nasty, you know, old school flash stuff. And uh, my friend requested, uh, I bring in some sort of framework to help make things better. And I was surprised how nicely I was able to bring robot legs in and start solving some problems. And so that was kind of one of the other pieces of inspiration for me to bring it to Xamarin. So with, um, 
to answer your question more directly, there's no reason why you can't just start up an iOS project, you know, throw in some UI view controllers, mess around. And then once you kind of got your idea where you want, at that point, you can create an interface for your view controller and then create the mediator for it and then whatever mappings you need from that point on. Um, so it's not like some frameworks where you have to start with a very specific version of UI view controller uh, and move your way down from there. At any time, you can introduce monkey arms into your project. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I would actually, you know, to me, that would be one of the, the biggest selling points of, of the framework, just that it's really unintrusive like that. Right. And, you know, a lot of these, like, uh, sales pitches or taglines are basically what a lot of uh, the Flash developers said when they were uh, <laughs> selling robot legs. And th we also had a similar... Uh, framework to robot legs called Swizz that was meant more for uh, Flex, in my opinion. And Flex was kind of like Flash's version of like uh, Silverlight's XNA or a lot of stuff you see with Stuart's MVVM cross with a lot of binding and whatnot. Right. Well, now that you've compared me to Flash developers, I take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, like, have you, at this point, have you built a lot of apps on top of this framework? Like, do you consider it to be, you know, production ready, something that, you know, anyone can kind of pick up and, you know, start really building on top of? Um, I, yes and no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, I've, I'm currently on my third app using it, and I forget who said it. I don't know if it was, like, Martin Fowler or Bob Martin or something where it's, like, you don't really know if something is truly uh, usable or universal if, until you've used it three times. So I'm finally at a place now that I'm on my third project that's uh, significantly different than uh, a couple of other previous ones I've done where I feel like I'm much more... Uh, open to letting uh, people hack away at it and offer their suggestions and whatnot. I don't know if anything right now that's a showstopper right now, but um, that's one of the reasons I hope uh, I can get some more people to give some insight and opinions on it. So what's uh, next for monkey or not? Uh, yeah. Monkey arms. That's the word for it. <laughs> right. Animal appendage. You know. right. <laughs> Something like that. Are there any new, you know, specific features you're working on or, maybe some new apps you're working on using it? Uh, you know, right now, my big goal uh, for this month is to kind of get some more videos out there and actually probably uh, maybe clean up uh, the documentation, maybe even get an official Monkey Arms uh, site of some sort going. Uh, I just had my first kid uh, back in November, so we'll see if that actually happens or not. Uh, but when it comes to actual code and features of Monkey Arms, uh, the first thing I'm probably going to do is uh, come up with a way to where you can chain invokers and commands together. Uh, for example, uh, the latest project I was working on, it's a running app. And one of the screens you want to be able to track or do a bunch of calculations on the progress and display it and also, uh, you know, display your teammates' progress. Well, to do these calculations, I needed to basically make three different calls to the server. And I found I was writing a lot of repetitive code over and over again uh, to kind of get these three service calls all together again. So uh, one of my goals is to create an ability to chain, you know, three or however many um, invokers and commands together. So it just looks like it's just one command without having to actually write a new command. And then the other thing I'm um, also looking into is uh, ways to kind of clean up the interaction between uh, commands and like a server API 
you know, I find a lot of times I'm um, writing the same code where I make this call to a REST API, get the JSON object, and then I have to parse it into, um, you know, different models or DTOs or whatever you want to call them. So, and before I even do that, though, it, you know, I want to make sure um, I do some research and make sure I'm not reinventing the wheel. That seems like a good goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so kind of before we close out, is there anything that we, you know, you think we, we miss covering or some piece of, of monkey arms that you want to, you know, call attention to that we haven't talked about? Um, let me, I don't think so. Not you guys are very thorough in your job, I must say. Um, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, basically the two big problems that I wanted to solve with monkey arms uh, was, not that there was a problem with dependency injection, but I had seen with uh, Robot Legs and Flash that, you know, something as simple as an inject attribute went a long ways towards kind of clean, making my code a bit cleaner and less uh, dependent on other modules. And then the second big thing is I wanted to figure out a way to message between entities in my code. Uh, in the past year or two, I've become like a super big fan of uh, Uncle Bob Martin and uh, like the solid principles. And so I also find in a lot of my work, I have to reuse my code a lot and reconfigure it for different um, clients and projects and whatnot. And um, I found, you know, uh, to make things more decoupled, you have to kind of break them down into smaller pieces. But one of the reasons I think a lot of developers don't like breaking their code down into a lot of small pieces is um, sometimes there might not be a good mechanism to kind of glue or assemble things as needed. So I found that Robot Legs uh, solved some of those problems, and I uh, thought it would be fun to bring it over to Xamarin. And then when it comes to, like, the mediator uh, stuff or view model or whatnot, I'm very open to the community and how to um, make things better for them. Um, you know, I don't necessarily want to uh, rewrite a new binding framework because you've got people like Paul and Stuart who have uh, written a lot of good stuff already. So my goal, first and foremost, with Monkey Arms is to try to uh, improve or solve uh, problems that I personally encounter. And hopefully you guys might encounter them too. And maybe my solutions will help you out as well. Right. Well, that actually made me, uh, you know, think of one more question before I actually let you go. But, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, not not wanting to reinvent the wheel or kind of, you know, build a binding layer that someone else has already done. Do you foresee the future of, you know, a framework like Monkey Arms, you know, kind of sitting side by side with maybe like a reactive UI or MVVM cross and really like, you know, maybe using their binding layer mixed with your dependency injection and, you know, mediator pattern and things like that. Is, is that kind of where you see things going? Um, I think if that were to happen, that would be a great success uh, on Monkey Arm's part, uh, that there would be elements that other frameworks would like to use or developers using other frameworks would like to use. I would think that would be a major win for Monkey Arm's. Cool. So, um, you know, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. This was really awesome to, to talk to you about this framework. Oh, no problem. I definitely appreciate your guys' interest. Great. And uh, so I guess that'll do it for this episode of Gone Mobile, and we'll see you all next time. 